Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. <clears throat> Great to be with you. It is a gorgeous day in Northwest Arkansas. I can't believe how much snow we have. I got to say, looking out at my back balcony today, I think we're at least maybe 10 inches or more. I'm being very conservative with that. We got a lot of snow, and uh, today the sun is out and the skies are blue, and man, there's just nothing more beautiful than what we're looking at today. So we're so thankful for that. And I want to welcome all of you to the broadcast today. God bless you and welcome. Last night, we had a wonderful evening with Patricia Joy Xavier out of her book, Deliverance, The Christian Bill of Rights. And uh, with that can be found on our Facebook page. And it was wonderful. We did a little test run with it and enjoyed it very, very much. So if you would like to find that video, it was from yesterday, just go to the Facebook page under Omega Radio, and uh, you'll be able to listen to a little bit of, uh, it's a one-hour program of Patricia sharing out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. We had some good calls come in, and uh, it was supposed to be just a family night because we have our Thursday evening uh, roundtable discussions here at New Wine Ministries, and someone said because of the snow, it was our brother Paul He said, you know, why don't we do it online? And so we did it online, and it was wonderful. So we're very, very thankful for that. Got a great message for us today. I believe God does. Um, We should be broadcasting right now in several different places. Uh, For those of you listening on Blog Talk Radio, you've simply come to, let me make sure we're all good on our sound checks. Nowadays, you have to do this all the time. You just never know. 
All right, so we're good in our sound checks. Blog Talk Radio, the number to call, 818-369-0326, if you're interested in listening while you're going about your business today. Um, also, if you want to call into the broadcast at any time, you press 1 on the dial pad, we'll bring you right in. And uh, we've been doing this a long time. It was so funny yesterday. I, You know, you go to your Facebook page, and they have uh, – you, you just – get to your page and they've got tons of other people doing different things. And I was scrolling through and I just thought it was so funny how one person after another, and I I just lost count of how many, and all I did was watch them, you know, the very first thing they said in the morning and there were men, there were women, there were all kinds of different ways of approaching people. And I thought, my God, there are so many people podcasting, broadcasting, um, getting the message out that they want to share with people all over the world. And um, we, you know, just people are talking. That's all there is to it. People are talking and <clears throat> they, they have something they want to say. I, I can tell you one of the most heartbreaking things I saw this morning. This is probably going to disturb every one of us. I know, you know, it's going to be tough. Get your handkerchief out on this one. Uh, we just were seeing an article where, uh, and this is really, really, really sad. I'll actually bring it up here and see if I could uh, show you the story. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder, the owner of Metaverse, which is formerly known as Facebook, he actually may be losing his top 10 ranking of being a billionaire. Really, really sad. I mean, when I saw that, my my heart just got so heavy and I just couldn't believe that Mark Zuckerberg, the, the guy that's uh, out there, you know, doing what he's doing uh, with Facebook and Metaverse, is, is he's not going to be in the top 10 tier billionaires. And I don't know, that's a very sad thing. It's hard to handle, but, you know, somebody's got to do it. And um, <clears throat> we're just doing the best we can to, uh, you know, hold our emotions back from being too hurt over that. So here, let's try this one. <clears throat> I got a message for you today. You're following Christ. You're a Bible-believing Christian. You came into this world one way or the other through your mother's womb. God found you at a particular time in your life. You accepted Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life. You received him into your heart. You received the grace of God, the spirit of God, the kingdom of God. You're a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. You looked at the Bible as your roadmap and as the, 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 the covenant document for your eternal soul and salvation. You have believed what the prophets have said. You have believed what the apostles have said. You believe the words of Jesus, and here you are. And you've been journeying on this earth since the day you believed, and uh, I would say for most of us tuned in right now that you have probably experienced quite a journey and you have been learning and maintaining your course. And that is the message today. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. I was sharing last week at the church uh, as we were doing a pioneering series, a series of the pioneers. And I was doing a little reading out of my encyclopedia about how the early pioneers had real one word, one phrase that they kept, and it was keep going forward, keep moving, keep moving. And in our spiritual journey with God, 
in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Everything is about keep moving. Don't allow stagnation to set into your soul. Don't allow stagnation to set in. Even in your days of rest, even when you're resting, move forward. Keep moving in your spirit, in your relationship with God. Keep moving. Don't stop. Don't go back. Don't look back. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep moving. If you're in a line of thought, And God has put a thought into your heart, okay? Let's say five years ago, God put a thought into your heart, and he has confirmed that thought over and over and over again to help you to believe that it's his thought that he put into you so you can move in the direction of that thought. Don't stop believing what God has said to you. Keep moving. And I'll give you an example. Right now, we live in a world that God has spoken And it's been a lot longer than five years, and he has confirmed over and over and over again through many different sources that the end of 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 the the ages has come, that we are the generation that will witness the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ one way or the other, either by being dead and then resurrected or being alive and remaining. Why would we be the last and final generation? Why would people be so bold or some consider it arrogant or some say kind of foolish to say such a thing. Well, we say that because of the signs of the times. We say that because God has revealed many things to our generation and within the context of our generation, things are different than they've ever been before. And we've talked many times about the differences that are going on in the world today. So at the end of the world, as we know it, at the end of the age, at the end of a dispensation, at the end of this moment, um, there's always a shifting into another moment, into the economy of God, because the economy of God is, uh, you cannot exhaust it. God goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. God keeps moving forward, forward, forward. God is on the move. He's always been on the move. And it's not going to come to the end of a chapter and say, conclusion of the book, now it's done, it's nothingness. No. Everything in God is moving forward, and you and I in our generation are moving forward by reading the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, doing what the Word of God, taking pleasure in the words of God, thanking God that we're not of this world, that we have been born from above, hallelujah, by the Spirit of God, that we are tongue-talking, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-rolling, I don't care what you want to call it, we have been marked by God in our generation, as billions have been marked throughout the generations during the last 2,000 years, we are marked in our generation. The baton of future or previous generations have passed on to us. And what we do with this baton, how we finish this race, and the church has been racing for 2,000 years, and as the final generation, I used to run track. And I remember that you could run, and then they'd pass the baton, and then they'd run, and they'd pass the baton, and they'd run. And when you got to that final runner, that baton got in the hand. Now it's the sprint to the finish line. And I truly believe that we are running our race to the finish, that there are finishing things going on in the world today. We are witnessing Bible prophecy again all over the world. And you and I are here on purpose. And God's word to you today is get up and keep moving forward in your thinking, in your emotion, in your thoughts. In all that you are, 
physically, mentally, emotionally, solically, spiritually. Keep moving forward. If you're bored, start praying in tongues. If you're not wondering what to do today, pray in the Spirit. Get involved. Take communion. Drink the cup. Read the Bible. Pray. Turn on a video. Whatever it's going to take, right? Keep moving forward. I'm telling you that the plans of the enemy are in motion, and they are not going to look back. God's word is in motion. It's not turning back. And everything is racing toward a conclusion within our generation. And a shifting is surely coming. And I believe with all of my heart that the shift is the end of the dispensation of grace, the end of the dispensation of the day of salvation, the end of the dispensation of what we would call the preaching of the gospel, It's kind of like Noah that preached for a hundred years while he was building the ark. And the day came that he entered into the ark and the door was shut. Well, that dispensation of preaching the grace of God, the mercy of God, the covenants of God came to an end. And Noah and his family entered into the ark and everybody that was with them and the door was shut. That shows and represents what we're talking about today. The closing up of a dispensation of grace and mercy and truth and light and peace and joy and favor and all these things, a reaching out to the unredeemed, unregenerate world, sinners like us, what we used to be. And so salvation, the day of salvation, it's been, we've been in it. Well, we're coming to that moment where it's all closing up. And there are those that are actually entering into their ark. There are those that are going into their prepared place. There are those that are getting ready to enter into the chamber, shut the door until the indignation be passed. Those are going into the wilderness, Revelation 12. Some going into Goshen, refuges. There are people that are coming out of her, my people, and entering into the place that God has called them to be. What is that in the context of end-time Bible prophecy? Well, it is a show that the end of a dispensation is at the door. And every single time in Bible prophecy as a pattern that a dispensation is ready to close out and a new dispensation is ready to open up, there's always going through that moment. And we've talked about this. For the children of Israel that were in bondage, they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Well, what happened? God was wrapping up that dispensation of their time in Egypt. So he raises up the prophetic voice of Moses and Aaron, and the supernatural begins to bring a people out, and now they come out, and what do they do? They're coming out of that dispensation. That time of slavery is closing up. Now they have to go through the Red Sea and be baptized into Moses, right? They have to go through something, and on the other side of it is a new territory. It was called the wilderness, but it was better than being a slave in Egypt, at least from God's perspective. So again, the closing out of 430 years of the house of bondage, because God said so to Abraham earlier, and then having to go through something and then come out into the wilderness 40 years later. Again, under the leadership of Joshua, God is now saying, okay, 40 years in this wilderness, this dispensation is over, and so I'm going to bring you out of the wilderness into the promised land. And so what happens? That's wrapping up the wilderness journey. And God has to bring them through the Jordan River. So they all have to pass through the Jordan to get to the other side and begin a new journey or a new season or a new dispensation within the economy of God. And the Bible is replete with this message that there are ages and dispensations. 
that are for a moment, and then comes a shift, and then comes something brand new. And so we come to the end, for example, of the dispensation of David and Solomon and the kings and the judges and the prophets. And for 1,500 years, you have the Mosaic law, right? Because God gave to Israel his law in the wilderness. They took that into the promised land. They carried it on for 1,500 years. That was within a dispensation of God, the dispensation of the law, the dispensation of Moses. Nothing wrong with that. That's just how God works, dispensations to bring things higher and higher. Well, 2,000 years ago, at the end of 1,500 years for the Jewish people, another dispensational shift was at the door. It was time to come out of Mosaic law, the dispensation of the law of Moses, and it was to shift into the new covenant of God's grace that was in his son, a higher dispensation, a new world order in the kingdom economy. And so the Jewish people had to make that adjustment, and they had to leave behind <clears throat> Judaism as they have known it in the Mosaic law. And how did, and, and again, every single time, this is just kind of rehearsal about things. Every single time God is going to shift something, every time a old dispensation is closing up and a new dispensation is coming, not only do the, the people have to go through something, but God always puts in position those who are going to steward the transition, steward the shift for the children of Israel coming out of the house of bondage. It was Moses and Aaron that were anointed by God to steward the transition of coming out of Egypt into the wilderness. And because it was righteous, godly stewardship, the people succeeded. When it came to Joshua 40 years later, God anointed him and appointed him to steward the transition out of the wilderness into the promised land. So there's always divine stewardship. The Apostle Paul said 2,000 years ago that he was, and they were, stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul knew that he was a steward, and what was he stewarding? He, along with the other apostles that walked with Jesus Christ, were commissioned, ordained, assigned, and appointed by Jesus to steward the transition from Judaism to the age of grace. Well, they had to be very careful with that stewardship to bring the Jewish people into a higher order of things, and, of course, that all culminated in 70 A.D. So the apostles that went all over the world, started churches, sent out the evangelists, the work of the book of Acts, everything, all of that work kind of culminates in 70 A.D. There's only one book that I'm aware of that was written after 70 A.D., and that was the book of Revelation. And we'll get into that in just a little bit more. But all the apostles were anointed to steward the shifting from Judaism to the kingdom age or the church age that began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But what did they have to do? They had to go through the collapse of Jerusalem, the collapse of the temple, the, the people being scattered to the ends of the world, the end of Judaism as they knew it. So things have to come to an end with Noah. We could go back to that as an example. You know, there's a dispensation of time. The world becomes evil. So that time of, again, Noah preaching, it comes to an end. And it's time for Noah to go into the ark, go through the flood, and on the other side of that, come out into a new world, a new time. Well, our generation is right now, God is foretelling us, he's blowing the trumpet, he's awakening the minds of the people, that it is time to move forward. It is time to cross over. 
the end of a dispensation that we've always known of grace and mercy and all these things, the day of salvation, the preaching of the gospel is coming to an end. And people have a hard time believing that, but it's true. And God is saying that this dispensation's over. We're going to have to go through, like every other generation has, our going through is the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth, three and a half years of going through, learning to endure to the end. And if we die in the midst of it, make sure your heart's right so you'll be resurrected at the end of it, one way or the other. On the other side of this great tribulation, we're coming out into what? On the other side of the great tribulation that our generation is going to getting ready to go through, leaving behind a generation or a dispensation, moving to another. What will be the next dispensation for us? Well, for those of us who endure to the end or even have died during the tribulation or before within the church age, there is a resurrection of the dead immediately following the great tribulation. And again, we're talking about a tribulation that has never been before, will never be again. So we're not going to go through this and then 100 years from now, another one. No, we're coming to the final one that Jesus talked about that the book of Revelation actually talks about. So what does that mean? Get ready. Prepare your victuals. You're getting ready to go through. You're leaving behind the wilderness. You're leaving behind Egypt. You're leaving behind the age of what we know as the gospel and grace and all of that. And you're getting ready to go through persecution and tribulation. But on the other side, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. The dead will rise. Those alive and remaining will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We will be changed. We're going to have glorified bodies. We're going to be with the Lord. Then, while we have been resurrected and translated and are with the Lord, meeting him in the clouds, in the air, and so ever will be with the Lord, He takes the ecclesia away and then begins, according to the book of Revelation, the outpouring of the wrath of God. The Great Tribulation was never the wrath of God. It was always the wrath of the dragon. It's the thing that happens when dispensational shifts take place. So here we are in a very unique position. And rather than being afraid of it, we could hear the pioneers saying, forward, you forward, you got to move forward. You got to get ready to keep on going. You don't stop now. You don't look at the coming storm and get afraid. You prepare for it. You understand, wow, I've served the Lord all these years. Am I going to throw in the towel now? Am I going to give up now? Because the landscape of governments, the landscape of the world, the trickery, the deception, no, I'm not looking at what they're doing. I'm looking at what the word of God says, and I'm not going to be taking it easy because they're going to pretend to be taking it easy. Their plans are full motion. God's plans are full motions. And I don't want to get caught in the middle. So you and I have been invited into the greatest dispensational shift. Now, can we find that in the Bible? You bet. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ Jesus both which are in heaven and on earth. What does that mean? So the Bible actually predicts that there is something called the dispensation of the fullness of times. And when you put that together, it's known as the economy. Uh, The dispensation means the economy of God within the context of his economy, his kingdom economy, the way he thinks things through. There is coming a dispensation of the fullness of times. That literally talks about the 
wrapping up of the ages that will be a time of opportunity, a ripe season, an opportune time, a set time, a predicted time. So you have to look this way, that God, who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last, he's already been to the end of everything. He knows exactly when all of these things are going to wrap up and culminate. And right before they do, there's going to be a revelation given to the stewards that are going to blow the trumpet and proclaim to the people that the shift is coming. The transition is coming. And then he's going to put people in position to steward the transition for those who are going to make their way and go through whatever they have to go through to bring about a successful transition. When a woman is giving birth to a child, and we talked about that with Brian and Kathy the other day, when a woman is giving birth, there's somebody at the womb there to make that successful transition so that when that baby comes forth, it's going to come forth safely in the hands of one who loves and is going to bring it into its beginning of a brand new life outside the womb. You and I are going to be cared for in the book of Revelation chapter 12. There are those who have prepared a place for the woman who flees to the wilderness where she's taken care of and nourished for three and a half years. That means God has gone before this moment to prepare people to assist in the transition, in the dispensational shift that's ready to happen to get us ready to go through this time of great tribulation, not having becoming afraid, not looking back, not taking our hand off the plow, not becoming deceived or confused, not allowing our love to grow cold, not allowing bitterness, resentment, pride, ego, or flesh to get in the way. I mean, this right now is a critical moment for believers all over the world. And the true believers, whether they're underground church in China, whether they're in North Korea, whether they're in Iran, Afghanistan, America, South America, wherever, Europe, the islands of the sea, the true believers are going lower and lower and lower. They are being humbled more and more and more, and they are being taught and instructed by the Spirit of God through the fivefold ministry to equip them and get them ready in spirit, soul, and body. They are being broken. They are learning to take up their cross. They are walking and following Jesus. They accept the ministry of Christ into their lives. They love the word of God. They are all in. They are all on. There's nothing they want to protect. They just want to get done. They want to get to the Father, get to the King, and by the Spirit they have access. But you know what I'm saying. On the other side of this moment, the actual ingathering, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth. Come on. That means everything that has ever been in Christ will be gathered together in the dispensation of the fullness of times, which means in the economy of God, this day has been predicted. This time has been predicted. And all the signs of this time are around us right now, and we've got to awaken to it and realize that, man, we're not doing church like we used to do church anymore. We have, we, this is all about getting people ready to go through the greatest tribulation, but to go through it successfully. And many people are going to get caught in the great tribulation. The Bible says so. The Bible says that there are going to be people that are going to get washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they're going to come out of tribulation, but that tribulation is going to serve in getting them prepared to some degree. There will be those that are going to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now. And this is a dispensation. Give you another example of dispensation uh, or dispensationalism. 
In Galatians chapter 4, it talks about that in the dispensation, listen how it says it, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, singular. All right, so what is Paul talking about in Galatians chapter 4? He's saying, he's telling the story of how the Messiah, Yeshua, came into the world. And he was saying, here's how it worked. He said that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, singular, God sent his son. All right, so 4,000 years prior, there was a lot of prophecy about the coming of a Messiah, but in the dispensation of the fullness of time, from God's perspective, there was a set time, there was an actual time, an opportune season at the right time in the right place, and God said, now, after 4,000 years of prophesying about a Messiah to come, it was the exact right time that he would be born in Bethlehem, exactly the way that God predicted it to be through the prophets and through the word of God. It's exactly what happened, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, God sent his son, made of a woman, made under the law. That's in Galatians chapter 4. So in the dispensations of God, certain things happen. And we are now moving in to a dispensational shift. And what God is saying to you and to me, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Praise the Lord. That's how we're going to begin our broadcast today. And I found a scripture that is so amazing about what we're talking about. And I am here to stir up and to stimulate the knowledge of God that he put inside of you before you ever found us or we found you. I believe that there are people that know intrinsically by the spirit and the word of God in themselves that this generation is a unique generation and the second coming of the Lord is at the door. They're not lollygagging around, pretending this, that, and the other thing. They know the urgency of the moment that there are going to be many who are going to be left behind, many who are not going to endure to the end, many that are going to seek to enter in and will not be able to, many loves will wax cold. They know this. And so they're very urgent about keeping themselves in the love of God, keeping themselves in the truth, not allowing the oppression of this world, the trickery deception of the satanic, the crackling energy of demons to persuade them even a little bit. They are connected to what they know God has spoken to them. And so I believe that's one of the reasons why God has led you here, because this dispensation is wrapping up. A new dispensation is coming, but you have to go through. And so here's the verse that I found. It's absolutely amazing. I want to share it with you right now in Job chapter 17. This it was just God confirming what he was saying. Job chapter 17, I'm going to read it out of the King James first, and then this blew me away in the New Living Translation, okay? So in the King James, Job chapter 17, verse 9 says, The righteous also shall hold on his way, and he that has clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. Wow. Even as we approach this time of transition, the great tribulation, whoever has clean hands, they're going to get stronger and stronger. They're going to hold to the way. Now listen to that same verse in the New Living Translation. Job 17, 9. The righteous 
Keep moving forward. And those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. What did it say? The righteous keep moving forward. Praise the living God. We have witness and testimony that what God is saying today is true for those of us who are continuing on in the journey. So, all right, having said that, I want to get into some scripture and talk about the necessity of moving forward, moving forward. Where are we in the history of things? Where are we in the economy of God? Where are we? And do you know that God must unveil his secret to the prophets, and he will unveil his secret to those who seek him. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that you have not known. Okay, fenced in things, secret things. So those who are calling on the Lord, that are going after God, seeking the Lord, God will unveil a mystery. And I believe that the mystery being unveiled in your heart, in your mind, is the mystery of the times that we are in, at least some of you, and partially. But the mystery, God saying, hey, what time is it? It is time. Get ready. The victuals is shifting time. This isn't time to relax and take it easy and go back. This is time to get everything together. Pack your bags. We're in the year 5781. Get everything ready. I love when Joshua was ordained by God to steward the transition, that one of the things that was said was, go throughout the camp and tell all the people, get your victuals together. Get your stuff. We're getting ready to move on. And I could hear the spirit of the Lord today saying, get your stuff together. You're going to be moving on. And so what is it? We're going to be moving through the great tribulation. So get your spirit, get your soul, get your body intact, get everything you need, get ready. We're ready to journey. We're moving out. The righteous move forward. The righteous keep moving forward. And those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Don't get weaker and weaker in your faith and belief because the world is laughing at you. I mean, come on. They mocked Noah for 100 years. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They derided him. They battled with him. Don't you allow that to dissuade you to move in the direction God has called you to. Keep getting your heart clean. Keep your hands clean. Don't do anything that's going to offend God. And you will become stronger and stronger. There will be no going back. You will not be emptied out. You will not be weak. You are getting stronger and stronger because you're going to need that strength to go through the great tribulation, to be alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord. You're going to be there, I'm telling you. And if you happen to die for your faith as a martyr, you're going to be resurrected. But we're talking about people that are going to be alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord. Keep moving forward. What does that mean? Keep moving forward in your thinking. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And that'll drive the devils crazy, by the way. It'll drive the Pharisees crazy, the religious people crazy, your family members crazy. Oh, you keep looking at the Bible. Well, what else am I going to look at? going to listen to you? I'm going to watch you? You're my example? Heck no. The Bible says that all these things are happening on purpose right now. I'm to understand them. And now because I understand them, I got the word of God in me, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to keep on going. You don't begin to build. Remember we talked about that in the parable Jesus taught? If a man begins to build and is not able to finish, they begin to mock him and say he began to build but wasn't able to finish. Remember? So you don't begin the journey of the end times, the last days 
uh, and, and then peter out because the world looks like, well, it's always going to be the same. No, it's not always going to be the same. It was the same until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the world will look exactly like that. They'll be buying and selling, building and planning, marrying and giving in marriage until the day. So you have to keep moving in the direction regardless of what the world is doing. You never judge what you're doing by what the world is doing. You do what God told you to do, and you keep moving forward in the plan and purpose of God. And you leave the results to the Lord. You leave the results unto the Lord. I just love Job 17, verse 9. Put it down. Make it on your refrigerator. Make it a refrigerator scripture. All right. The righteous keep moving forward, and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. The Bible in the New Testament says we go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. It's a journey, and you keep moving. You keep moving in the direction of God. All right. So I wanted to start there. I've got some other scriptures that I want to bring out to you real quick. And I want to read out of Jeremiah chapter 6 and Jeremiah chapter 8 just for a moment. Jeremiah chapter 6 and Jeremiah chapter 8. Let me explain to you why I'm going to read these verses and then one more in the New Testament. Every day that we wake up in our life with God, in the life that he has given us, I am pretty confident that the thought of many hearts at some point is, I just want to be at peace. I want the world, I, this is not me, I don't, I don't really possess this thought, but I know a lot of people that do. I want everything to go back to normal. I, I want the COVID-19 thing. I want the past of the violence that we've experienced, January 6th. I want it to all go away. Um, the war supposedly with Russia and Ukraine and NATO forces, I want it to go away. Uh, the war, the, the, the major assault that Israel is planning right now with the U.S. to attack Iran, I want it to go away. The murder, the rape, the bloodshed that's going on in my society, school shootings, um, all, all these different things, I want it to go away. I just, I just want to go shopping. I want to go to the mall. I want to go to the ball game. I want to go on vacation to my favorite place in the world. I don't want to have to wear a mask anymore. I don't want to be in this vaccination problem anymore. I want it to go away. Well, the world is setting that up. So if you want it to all go away, all you have to do is cooperate with us. All you have to do is come and join us, join the science, join our wisdom, join our knowledge, Get yourself vaccinated. You can get on any plane. You could go anywhere. You could go to any restaurant. You could do anything you want to do. Just cooperate with us if you want it normal. But there are people on the other side saying, well, I want things to be normal without cooperating with you. I still want to be able to go out and live an abundant life. I want to have the joy of the, of, of, of the Lord in my heart. Um, I want to you know, take my kids shopping. I want to go to get to, to my kids to school. I want to start a new career. I want to have a, a new relationship. I want to have I just want life to be normal. Don't take it away from me. Don't take it away from my children and grandchildren. I want, to, I want them to enjoy life like I've kind of enjoyed life. I, I just, you know, give them a chance. I want it normal. So this psychology is something that the devil knows. The devil knows that people want peace. 
if people want security, if people want to just be left alone and enjoy their life. And so the powers of darkness understand this. They work as angels of light. They work in governments and federal governments around the world to provide atmospheres for people to live in as long as they do it their way. America was the last bastion of freedom to that degree that people didn't need their government to tell them how to live, but now they do. And so people are just thinking, I want peace. I want security. The devil knows they want it. So then what's it going to cost? Well, in the days we're living in, it's going to cost you your soul because you're going to have to capitulate with what they desire for you to do to have that peace because the devil knows your psychology. Now, some of us, we don't have that desire. We have a greater desire. What is that? Our greater desire is that Yeshua will come and set up his kingdom upon this earth and will rule and reign out of Jerusalem and that we will have lived a life that will afford us an opportunity to rule and reign with him, that we will have glorified bodies that will never die, that we will have souls that will be put into bodies with our spirit that will never get sick, never die, will never end, that we are going to live forever in eternal bodies with the Lord, and we're going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Afterwards, there's a short span of something. God whacks it, and we go on to the eternal eighth day of new beginnings. It never ends with God. And we want Jesus to return. We believe that Jesus will return. We believe right now that the world and the world rulers are mocking the return of Jesus because they are saying he's the rightful heir. Let's kill him so we can seize upon his inheritance. They don't want anything to do with this Messiah. They don't want anything to do with this reality. And so they figure, listen, everything that's been going on in the world in this generation, we did it. We started abortion. We did it. And we didn't get spanked for it. We, we murdered 100 million babies in the womb right here in America. We didn't get spanked. We have men marrying men, women marrying women. We did that. We didn't get spanked. We're still in control. So they really think, because of the darkness and the deception and the delusion in their minds, that they're okay, that this Jesus thing is a farce and he's not coming back. And they want you to believe that. They're laboring against your psychology, and they're saying, aren't you weary yet with this religious garb thing you're putting out there? Aren't you tired with end-time Bible prophecy? Look, folks, we're coming into the greatest new world order of things, and you ought to join us, and you can be happy if you do it. If you're going to remain uh, you know, a thorn in our side and a prick in our eyes, we're going to have to burn you up. We're going to have to get rid of you. You see, this is all part of psychological warfare. And you and I, left to our own personal psychology, will never last. We have the mind of Christ. We yield our intelligence to his intelligence. Anybody that walks in their own intelligence is full of pride, and they're subject to delusion and deception. But those who have believed the gospel, the report of the word of God, like I just read to you, the righteous keep moving forward, and their who has clean hands gets stronger and stronger. That's something to live by. I can live by that. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, it means that Jesus Christ, what he's done, has been afforded to my account. I do what is right that honors him. So I have to follow him if I'm going to be truly righteous. I can't be righteous in my own eyes. I can't do what is right according to my government's eyes. God forbid, and not my government, but the governments of the world or other people. So here's some scripture, okay? Knowing that the mantra that's going to rise 
Okay, get ready. This is the propaganda, the stigmatization that's coming. Okay, knowing that the world psychology being played like a fiddle by the devil, we want peace. We want peace, right? So Jeremiah chapter 6 says this, and I want to begin in verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to read that, and we're going to go on to the New Testament after one other passage. This is what the Lord says. So, so thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back your hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak? This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. They cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days. Their houses shall be turned unto others their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone deals falsely. They, verse 14, have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. So the mantra of the world, the devil knows this is what human beings want, so they play it, peace, peace, but it's over here. There is no peace. The false prophets are saying peace, safety. The false priests are saying peace, safety. Those would be your pastors today, your teachers today, your evangelists today, your prophets today. People that are emulating themselves as something that they're not. They're saying peace, peace to a rebellious generation. And there is no peace. The next passage of scripture I want to show you is in Jeremiah chapter 8. And I want to pick it up, kind of the same story. And I'll just go from, let's say, oh, that's too much reading. So let me do this in verse 9, Jeremiah 8 9. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? You ask yourself, what wisdom are these world rulers operating by who have rejected the word of the Lord? Well, it's not good. It's demonic is what it is. Verse 10, therefore will I give their wives unto others, their fields to them that shall inherit them. For everyone from the least, even unto the greatest, is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Same as Jeremiah 6. God's repeating what he's saying. Verse 11. 
for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is said again and again and again to people to keep them from believing a lie that there's going to be world peace. The fact is, from the word of God, in the days we are living in, there is no peace. There will no longer be peace on earth. The only peace that will ever exist, true peace, is Christ himself. If you want to know true peace, then you must know Christ. You must know God. You must have Christ in you. You must receive his peace. He gave a peace that far transcends the peace of this world. The peace of this world is a facade. It's based upon conditions. There is a condition for you and I to have peace, true peace. And it is Christ, obedience, walking with the Lord. There's no doubt about it. But this peace is so real that even in spite of what's going on in the world, inward peace, not because of my arrogance, well, I'm not afraid, I don't care, I'm not afraid, I don't care. No, it's, that's a psychology. It's because that there is genuine peace in my relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's constantly being nurtured by the Holy Spirit, the word of God in fellowship with other believers I'm held accountable. I'm walking in light and truth. But the world is saying, peace. The prophets were saying in Jeremiah's day, peace. The priests were saying, peace. We want peace. We're tired of this stuff. We want peace. The psychology of the nations, yeah, we want peace. What are you guys going to do to give it to us? Well, all you have to do is do what they say. Or there's another way the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's true. That's available to whosoever. But in this world, on this earth, this terra firma earth, at the generation we live in, no peace. There will never again be peace on earth until Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And the only peace you'll ever really know, K-N-O-W, is the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Honoring God, obeying God, loving God, accepting God, knowing that you're loved by God, and being in Jesus. Not religion. In Jesus. Holy Spirit, unction, to function. Walking in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit. Okay? Peace will come from that. True peace as a fruit of the Spirit. But that's not where the world's going. That's not what they want. They have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is obvious by world leaders, world rulers, the condition of nations, the condition that we're in. It's a sign of the times. So what, are the, what is the psychology of nations? I want peace. My pastor told me I have peace even though I live in sin going to heaven because I went to the altar and said the Jesus prayer. The pastor told me, my pastor told me, and yet you talk to most Christians today, the last thing they have is peace. Most today who claim to believe 
have very little, if any, real, genuine peace. This is not healthy. So that would demand that those who say they believe to press in deeper to the heart of Christ and find the true peace, the real peace, the genuine peace of God because of what Christ has done to bring us that one with God. A lot of Christians have a conscience that they're still afraid of God. They don't feel like they have access. You know why? Because they know they're doing things wrong, whether they know it consciously or not. In their heart, their heart condemns them. They have conviction, but they may not have paid attention to it. There's something wrong, and they've never dealt with it. And so they keep living out beyond what they know and try to make it right in their head. But that's not where peace comes. It's not in your head. It's in your heart. This is true peace. And you have to find that in Jesus Christ. You have to know that there is a God in heaven that loves you, that forgives you, that welcomes you, but he wants all of you. And if you're going to hold any part back from him, you're not going to know peace. If you're, if you're a friend of this world, you're not going to know peace. If the things of this world bring pleasure to your heart, you're not going to know peace. It's not to say that we're not in it and we don't enjoy the benefit of being alive on the planet. This is where God put us. We get to eat and drink and have food and a house. Praise God and do some things we enjoy, but we're talking about whatever God gives us, we enjoy, and it always affords peace. But if we start enjoying things and getting involved, i got to pay my bills, i got to pay the Joneses, I bought a house bigger than I could afford, um, i got to pay off my credit card debts because I got into debt, it's not going to be any peace. Fear of what men are going to do, the vaccination, sickness, disease, oh, that's not peace. Sure, they're real, but you don't get peace if you're worried about it. The peace is knowing that, yes, God said these things, but I've addressed it. I've built my ark. I'm entering in. Jesus Christ is my ark of salvation. So I just wanted to bring this out, that the world is going to say it, and you're going to hear it louder and louder and louder. Peace, peace. Now, the world rulers, they think world peace is going to come by them bringing their new world order by obliterating the the old dispensation of their ways. They so closely counterfeit the things of God. So they're going to put an end to American exceptionalism, again, or an end to America, the superpower nation. It's got to become global. We've got to depopulate the earth and bring people that will understand what we want to control the world, and they can be happy. And What a facade. But it's going to happen because this is the devil. This is his desire. And so there's another passage of Scripture I want to get into, and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. That's what Jesus said, as a snare shall it come on the whole earth, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. 
You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The righteous keep moving forward. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now people take that scripture right there and say, that's it. We're not appointed to wrath, therefore there is no great tribulation. There's none of that. Well, no, we haven't been appointed to the wrath of God because of our obedience to Christ. As far as the church for the last 2,000 years being subject to the wrath of the world and the devils, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? So to the believer, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to the followers of Christ. He's talking to the children of light, the children of the day. He's talking uh, to the, the, the children of God, that those who serve the Lord are not appointed to wrath or the wrath of God. Okay? That's not what we're appointed to. Having to go through, that's another story. Because the great tribulation is the wrath of the dragon, according to Revelation 12:17, The wrath of the dragon. It's not the wrath of God. The great tribulation is not the wrath of God. It is the wrath of the dragon. And while multitudes are going to be touched by that wrath because of the war that's going to come through the wrath against the seed and those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, there will be a preserved people. We know that. That that wrath of the dragon won't even touch. She's going to be nurtured for three and a half years from the face of the serpent. We know that. Your life could be in that protective hedge according to how you conduct yourself on this earth. And if you conduct yourself in that kind of righteousness that you could be afforded a preservation or the honor of being a martyr, you'll still be in the resurrection. But you're not appointed to God's wrath. Okay? So, verse 10 says, who died for us, Jesus Christ, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we die or, or, uh, or whether we're living or dead, we should live together with him. That's a promise in the resurrection and the translation. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And we, okay, so I'm going to stop it right there. So the point of today's broadcast was to encourage you and I to keep moving forward in your preparations, in getting your food, in getting your water, your medical supplies, your all resources that you could possibly take in, not as a hoarder. They like to insult people. Uh, you know, you're one of those. No, no, no. You do not listen to the mocking of this world. You do not judge by the seeing of your eyes or the hearing of your ears of what the world is saying and doing. You judge when you look through the biblical lens of Scripture at the signs of the times. That's how you make your judgment. That's why I do what I do and prepare because the Bible that I read says that these, this world's in trouble and there is no turning back. America has crossed the point of no return. The nations of the earth have crossed the point of no return. Only moving forward will the righteous be separated from the unrighteous, the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. This is a time of separation, and there's no doubt that that's what's been going on for a large part in the last couple of decades. Don't stop. 
preparing yourself mentally, emotionally, morally, physically, spiritually. Keep getting more oil. Keep yourself inspired. Keep yourself built up. The Spirit of God dwells within you. Stir the gift of God within you every single day. Live one day at a time. Do not worry about tomorrow. This is a safety. See, this is the wisdom of God. Because if you keep thinking about tomorrow, you can become overwhelmed, right? Oh, my God, I'm so unprepared. No. If you live one day at a time, you just serve the Lord today. You get a can of food today. You get an extra bottle of water today. You love the Lord today. You honor God's people today. You serve God's purposes today. You bless the Lord today. You sing your song today. You offer your prayers today. You pray in the spirit today. You fellowship with believers today. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. We will forgive today. We will love today. We will spit out the poison of offense today. We will not be bitter and unforgiving. We will forgive and release and love and care and serve today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. But today, I will get another portion of food. I will get another bottle of water. I will get some more aspirin for the, for the kit for the days ahead or whatever. An extra bag of coffee whatever. I will get ready to be able to barter. I will get ready for the new system of things in the underground church that's coming upon the earth and, and, and be able to share. You know, I love the fact that the church goes into the wilderness because there's this idea that there's this place that's already set up that they have already gone to prepare, but everybody that's there is kind of working together. What did you bring in? What did I bring in? You need to have physical food. You need to have physical provisions, resources, I mean, it's nice to think of it just spiritually, but it's not. But you will be in an environment of spiritual people who have been led by the Spirit into the wilderness, who have a moral conduct, who have washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb, who have gotten rid of the darkness in their soul. These are the ones that are going to be put into that wilderness of protection. But while they're there, they're going to be living. It's kind of like owning a thousand acres of land. And all the people that are righteous and ready and they get together and they're there and they're going through, the world's going crazy, but there they are. They got all the provisions, everything they need. They have a conduct about them that is mature. They, 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 they love the Lord. Uh, it, it's just a beautiful thing. And God is actually preparing that. And he's actually overseeing who's going to go into that wilderness of protection. He's actually saying, based upon the condition of the heart, who will actually be there? And if you're a snare, if you're a thorn, if you're a prick in the eyes, according to Scripture, you're not going there. If you're somebody that makes life miserable for other people, you're not going there. I don't care what you think. He will not allow people that are thorns and pricks to go into the wilderness. He won't do it. Where the righteous are going to be. This place of provision is for people who know how to love, who know how to serve, who know how to yield, who know how to be obedient, know how to give. They, don't, they know how to do this. That's preparing. God wants all of us to be there. But right now, we're in the proving grounds of how we conduct ourselves. How we respond to negative things is a huge, you know, test as to whether or not we'll be permitted. Because people are people. 
and people do things that, you know, kind of annoying at times. Sure, I've annoyed a lot of people throughout my life. In fact, I know I have. <laughs> not on purpose, but that's just the way it is. Um, and it's not that it's acceptable. It's got to learn to be more sensitive, no doubt about it. And But this is all proving ground, all testing ground. I know what you want if you believe that we're in the last days. You don't want to just die. You don't, you're not longing for death. No. You want to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now, right? So right now in this testing ground, that's what we're, that's what we're being tested in. God is doing this in local assemblies all over the world. I believe this. And believers are learning how to live together and cooperate together and share together and love together and help together and serve together and, uh, you know, take care of each other. It's an attitude. It's a conduct. It's not based upon psychology as much as a Holy Spirit impact that has changed our lives to become more like Jesus so that our way of life is more natural, supernatural, than trying to force it. In other words, we've become mature in the, in the, in the fruit of the Spirit. And I think you're going to want to be in communities that God has designed and has appointed people to. I hope to God, my firm belief, because this information is biblical, so anybody can understand it, my firm belief is that congregations like at New Wine Ministries, maybe the people that are listening into this broadcast right now, is that there's a special conduct that is being cultivated and that we will be a community of believers that have come through the testing and have learned how to get through. And it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about how everybody's responding to what is going on because we're all different, right? But God says, get all on the same page, become like-minded, speak the same thing, have the same judgment. This is the call of the church. This is true unity. Because if there's a division, which are two visions, one vision this way, one vision that way, in an ecclesia, it can't work. So there has to be the vision. I was told years ago, make sure you understand the vision of your pastor's heart. And if the vision of your pastor's heart is accurate and you're in agreement, well, then get involved and and serve it because God put it in the pastor to have that vision. But if the pastor's vision is not your heart, then you need to go find somewhere else where it is. You need to go find that pastor that carries the vision of God that is more conducive to you. And if there's uh, it, you know, I, I think in these last days, I would believe there's only one real vision, but there are many parts of the body and how people are preparing. So, but you do have to walk with people that you are envisioned with, envisioned with. You share the same vision. And New Wine Ministries, for the most part, um, are people that understand. Now, there are some people um, in different congregations and different places um, they can go so far with what you're doing and believing, um, and they could get, you know, a, become aware of the times you're living in. They could become aware of the necessity of providing, but they get to that part where, well, I, I don't move here. You know, I don't budge here. You know, this is where I am. I'm set, and, you know, this goes so far. Well, that will do exactly that and take them so far. It's the vision of knowing the times that we're in, if it's real, and the vision is true that people that are abandoning themselves to the purpose of God in whatever it takes 
are probably going to be the selected ones to be in these areas that God has of divine protection, supernatural protection. And I don't say that to, you know, us and them. I hate that, quite frankly. Um, I just know that how can two walk together unless they agree? And if somebody has a different vision than the, than the pastor of that fellowship or that church, uh, that local leadership or that, that divine ordained leadership, uh, for example, the children of Israel, they needed to follow Moses. Uh, but when things didn't work out, they started complaining and murmuring and, you know, it didn't work the way they wanted. So they, they began to insult and that wasn't healthy for them. Uh, same thing with Joshua, you know, get on board. Let's go. We got a vision. Let's move. And people may move, but in their heart, there's just waiting for one opportunity for things not to work the way they thought. And so they're going to get ready to launch out against that leadership. And that's not healthy. You have to really search your heart. And you have to really ask yourself a question where you go to church right now. If you go to church and your pastor's preaching prosperity, um, you know, and, and go out and live like you've always lived before, the last church you're going to want to go to is New Wine Ministries. Because while we don't mind in, in, uh, preaching on the abundant life and the joy of the Lord and the kingdom of God and the power of God, but that's always in the context and the economy of get ready. The end is coming. You've got to prepare, use your resources to get ready and keep yourself walking in the spirit and don't become foolish in the world. Um, it's not about business. It's not about money. It's not about how much money. It's not about how big the house is or the car is. You have to be willing to leave big houses and go into small campers. I mean, there are some people that have done that, and it was okay. We left a 4,000-square-foot home in Southern California to live in a 8-foot-wide by 35-foot-long RV for five years on our land and preparing for the times that were coming. And I'm going to tell you something. Leaving that big, beautiful home in Temecula, California, and in San Diego, California, in Rancho Bernardo, and coming into a 35-foot RV was awesome. It didn't matter. When I watched my wife, Patricia, in the middle of winter when we were here in Arkansas, didn't know it got this cold, pipes bursted in the RV, and there was my wife. I observed her walking across from a single-wide mobile home where she had a pot of water to go to the RV so we could brush our teeth, and there she had boiling water walking into our RV. I said, well, there's a pioneer woman. The hardships of transition, because it doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. If our needs are met and we're content with that, that's awesome. And thank God for those who have much that are able to share with others that don't have much. Thank God for skilled people. Thank God for people that have an ability to, you know, navigate in the body of Christ in the kingdom of God. So I'm not advocating poverty at all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means, in my opinion, those who are broken. You know, you're poor, you're broke. You're poor in spirit, you're broken. You, you're broken. You, the Lord has broken you and you're submitted and yielded to God. I, I just believe that with all my heart. So whatever you're doing, keep on doing it in the Lord. 
get around people that are like-visioned, like-minded, because it will be a lot easier to walk with them. That's all. Personality conflicts, that's part of the cleansing. That's part of the purging. That's part of working out our salvation. You know, allowing others to be right sometimes to keep the peace. The Bible actually preaches that. You know, it's not an easy thing to do, but it does actually work. And as my wife keeps telling me, just keep loving people. I mean, really loving people, regardless of their actions. And and again, I would hope that people would continue to love me in spite of my actions. So this is all part of the economy of things in God on planet Earth, getting through and getting ready to endure for three and a half years. And I say to people at our church all the time, if you've endured me thus far, I think you're on the right track. <laughs> so, and, that, and I say that sincerely, you know, because life is not easy with people. You know that. So I want to do something real quick. I want to say good morning to our friends on Blog Talk Radio. And, uh, again, you're always welcome to call into the broadcast, um, 818-369-0326. And I see a lot of our friends in the chat room this evening, this morning. It's not this evening. It's really morning. I can prove it outside. Uh, I want to say good morning to Dennis Sossaman. Pastor Denny, good morning to you, sir. God bless you. Uh, Pastor Melissa Fletcher, good morning, church. Love the background. Pastor V, warmer than the snow you received. It is. And you know what the background is, Melissa? Pastor Melissa, you know what this background is? I don't know if anybody ever got it or if I said it. I think I said it once. But um, it's actually emblematic or symbolic to our ministry. Behind me is a picture of the island of Patmos, where the Apostle John received the revelation belonging to Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. And he gave it to his servants, the doulos servants who were sold out, so that they might share the things that are coming on the earth. So John was on that island, this island right here, and the book of Revelation As far as I'm concerned, as far as I understand, Bible prophecy is the final prophecy for the generation that will show up when it's ready to begin. Because if everything happens in the dispensation or the economy of God, so does this message in the book of Revelation. It will show up within the generation that God has already designed it to show up within. That's my take on it. Let me say good morning again to Kevin Hauger. Pastor, I've got at least one foot of snow. You are streaming on OmegaRadio.org. Amen. Well, Kevin, a foot of snow. That's what I was saying. I was saying 10 inches, but I thought that was a little low. We got a lot of snow. Now, the sun's coming out. It's going to warm up. It's going to get beautiful again, and we praise God for that. But what a sign of the times. Aren't you thankful that the lights didn't go out? that the electromagnetic pulse didn't happen in the last, like, couple of days. It was like three degrees last night with the wind chill here in northwest Arkansas, three degrees up there in Minnesota and all those areas up there in South Dakota. They're getting the below zeros. Can you imagine if the lights go out? Can you imagine what people would do? They would, if they're not ready, if they're not prepared, and they got caught there, The Holy Spirit should have told them to go to Florida for vacation before it happens or something like that. Um, But can you imagine lights out in areas that are freezing cold? I mean, my God. 
And in, and here we are in northwest Arkansas. This is a southern state. Uh, this weather is a little unusual. I mean, it does happen every once in a while, but, man, some unusual things. So the big Klaus Schwab reset that's coming is climate change. It's coming. It's coming. Cindy Messman is with us this morning. Our dear friend Cindy, God bless you. You're not driving buses today. Go out and have a snowball fight with Mark. And, and that'll be a blast. All right. Uh, sadness abounds for Zuckerverse. Yeah, the Zuckerverse. <laughs> yeah, we started the program today with the sad news that uh, Mark Zuckerberg will not be part of the top 10 in the billionaire status. It really kind of kind of hurts down there, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just it's big news. Big news on the Internet. He's not going to be part of the 10 top billionaires. Gets you chilly all over. Tammy Ivy, good morning to all. Grace and peace be unto you. Hello, Tammy, and grace and peace be unto you, and welcome back to the broadcast. God bless you. Uh, Carol Carey is with us today. Good morning, family of God. Good morning, Carol. Hope things are going good in the Virginia area. Uh, We're getting an absolutely truth hallelujah from Tammy Ivy. God bless you. Melissa Fletcher, Pastor Melissa says, 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Let's run, dear saints. Let's run. Come and preach it. Come on down, you and Chad. Preach that word. I just preached it last week on running the race. Gotta love it. Confirmation. I see our sister Joyce is with us today. Good morning, Joyce. God bless you and your family. Charlotte Gotch is with us this morning. God bless you, Charlotte. Shirley Woolsley is not only with us on the chat room today, but she's right here in Northwest Arkansas as well. God bless you. Joyce says, I'm praising God for your encouragement this morning, Pastor V. Praise the Lord. Thank you. I received that. I'm glad that you're praising God because I'm encouraging. I love that. Cindy Messman, good morning and amen. Uh, Melissa says, Pastor Melissa, thanks for explaining the picture behind you. How wonderful. Hello, man. She, uh, you know, yeah, I love the island. One day, see, here's what I've threatened to do for years. I came into a a chunk of pleasure many years ago, and that chunk was the book of Revelation. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened. I don't remember. But I had a joyful journey into the book of Revelation that stirred me so deeply, and I saw it in a particular way. And I wasn't plagiarizing. I wasn't picking and choosing from other people. I got down deep into the book of Revelation, and I found some things, and I was awed by those things. And I I preached them, and I taught them, and I put them on PowerPoints, and I love it, but every time recently I start to go into it, I get dissuaded into another direction. It's like I can't just get in there and go for it. Number one, I think people have heard it so often that they wouldn't want to hear it again. And I just kind of think, well, I, I just can't get beyond a few verses. But when I do, when God will permit it, when I, I, I have this, I love that book of Revelation. It's like juicy meat. It's like getting to the bone of a, of, a, of a T-bone and getting to the rich meat and the juice of that meaty revelation. I love the book of Revelation. 
and it inspires me. But then I got guys telling me, well, that was written in 60 or 60 something AD. It's, you know, a preterist book and it's already been fulfilled and it's useless. Don't preach it like it's valid for today. So you got to go, you got to work through that. But I know when the spirit of God puts something needed to uh, discover the revelation of the book and it inspires you, that is so important. And I'm inspired by the book. And so I love it. And that's why the background is uh, what it is. And, you know, I would love to get my little charts out. I got charts. I got these, uh, the whiteboard. I got my little markers. And I like to go, I can't get out of an hour's teaching of the first three verses. And yet I've done it so often, it's hard to do it again. But what do I, you know, believe about this book? Of, uh, but I like, hey, Pastor Denny, what a wise pastor. Repetition writes it upon the heart. I love you. God bless your heart, sir. Pastor Denny, he knows. So anyways, um, the book of Revelation in my humble belief, and I know it's subject to a lot of change, and it's arrogant to believe that you can even have a portion of absoluteness, right? Well, I personally believe that the book of Revelation was written 2,000 years ago uh, to a generation that would arrive at its destination. In other words, just as the Bible predicted for 4,000 years that the Messiah would come, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the first prophecy about the coming Messiah, well, all throughout the Torah, all throughout the uh, the 4,000 years from Adam leaving the garden all the way to the coming of Messiah Jesus, 4,000 years they predicted, taught, preached, inspired that the day would come, that Messiah would come. Well, it took 4,000 years. Then, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, God sent his son. So, Revelation prophecy, this end-time prophecy, was written 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years of the church age, people have been saying, is it here, is it here, is it here? But when you read it, it's never been fulfilled. But I believe it could not have been fulfilled unless, of course, you take a preterist view, <clears throat> which doesn't complement the actual prophecy itself. So that's why I don't go there. I love my friends that do, but I disagree with that. So I can't walk with them because I disagree with them, but it doesn't mean I don't love them. However, <clears throat> I believe one of the reasons why the revelation, which most scholars today say was actually written in 95 AD, which would put it way after 70 AD, which is complementary to the fact that John was over 100 years old when he wrote that prophecy. He was imprisoned. He was already boiled in oil. So there's a lot of reasons why I believe it. But I believe that just like the prophecies about the coming Messiah, the book of Revelation was a prophecy that was written and the time will come when the generation will arrive that will be part of that prophecy. Part of the reason why I don't believe it ever happened until our generation is because all major Bible prophecies have been fulfilled when Israel was a nation. Israel was a nation. I mean, you get back at the Bible prophecy and you see Israel's a nation in Egypt Israel's a nation in Assyria. Israel's a nation in Babylon. Israel's a nation while the Medio Persian Empire comes. Israel's a nation when the Grecian Empire comes. Israel's a nation when the Roman Empire comes. It's all Israel is a nation when these things happen. Well, in 70 AD, Israel was scattered to the ends of the earth. So, no real Bible prophecy 
in my study of the patterns of Scripture, <coughs> excuse me, could have actually commenced until 1948. And in 1948, when Israel was a regathered people, and in 1967, they established their place as a nation, and today a thriving nation, we're in, living in the context of a regathered nation that Bible prophecy can now be fulfilled. And so when I read the book of Revelation, the way that we break it down and study it, I see it as a global book, not a Middle Eastern-centric book, not an Israeli-centric book. I see it as a book of prophecy about the end of the world as we know it, <clears throat> incorporating into it everything that exists on the planet. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, <clears throat> the mountains, the islands, the sun, the moon, the stars, angels, demons, saints and sinners. The book of Revelation is a culmination, 6,000 years of human history. And that's why showing up right now at the end of six millennial days, longing for the seventh millennial day, <clears throat> which is the 1,000-year millennial reign. It is interesting <clears throat> that <clears throat> the book of Revelation, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> the prophecy is actually beginning to dawn and bloom in our generation since Israel has become a nation, perfectly lining up and matching the end of 6,000 years. That's phenomenal when you think about it. And so when you take the book of Revelation as a global reality, that means you're in it and everything else in the created universe is, in dimensions, in realms. There are things that have happened since Israel became a nation that are actually a part of the book. And I think when I, when I, when I study the book of Revelation, those first five chapters are all introductory. So I read chapter one, who it's from, who it's to, who, uh, who he is, the magnificence of Christ and his resurrection glory. Chapters two and three are letters to the seven churches, incorporating all the church age, seven being a complete number, completion of all the churches. Um, I believe that the messages that were written to them then are valid for us today that we can learn from them. We too must return to our first love. We don't want to have our names blotted out of the book of life by being lukewarm or compromising. I mean, the messages to the seven churches are eternal and they mean something to us today. Chapter four is just simply John being caught up into heaven to go into the throne room of God to see the magnificence of God's glory, the legal uh, governmental throne of God with the seven uh, lamps of fire burning, the four living creatures, the 24 elders. He sees angels around the throne. He sees a crystal clear, uh, you know, throne of vision before. I mean, what he sees when he enters in is the God's judicial, glorious governmental power. And he's about to be commissioned to go and prophesy. That's what all true prophets have always been commissioned by an encounter with God to some degree. Chapter 5 is where things really ramp up, and that's all about this book, this sealed book with seven seals on it. And John's weeping because no one's opening the book. Behold the Lamb of God who has uh, been found worthy to open the book. And chapter 6, when the first seal opens, that's the opening or the beginning of Bible prophecy. And the word um, actually seal in the seven seals 
the Greek in the word seal all the way down at the bottom, at the root of that word, means to understand. So with the first seal opening, the understanding of the people of God should be opening as well. There's a level of understanding that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. With each thing that happens, there's a level of understanding. And we should come to a perfect understanding. And by now, we should, because at least five of those seals have opened already, maybe even six. So we should have a deep level of understanding uh, unveiled within ourselves. And so you say, well, what are those seals? Well, the thing that took me away in my understanding was that first seal was a white horse. The second seal was a red horse. The third seal was a black horse. And the fourth seal was a greenish colored horse. And then I studied and found in Zechariah chapter 10 that horses represent people groups. I have uh, visited my flock, Judah. He calls them in my flock, Judah, my goodly horse for the battle. So in Zechariah 12, horses represent people groups. Judah, the remnant, the overcomers in Bible prophecy, they become his goodly horse for the battle. I believe in Revelation 19, the white horse that Yeshua rides is an overcomer, uh, a body of Christ. These are the overcomers, the remnant. It's not an actual horse. Horses represent people. So when I saw the four horses in Revelation chapter 6, the first one being white, the second being black, uh, red, then the third being black, and the fourth being green, it, I had an epiphany one day in Decatur at the restaurant, and I searched it out, never heard it before. I shared it with others like Joel Richardson, told them these things because well, we had good friendship. I didn't borrow it, plagiarize it. It was there. And all of a sudden, I saw those four colors, and the flags of those four colors was all about Islam. And how on 9-11-2001, that first horse, named known as Al-Qaeda, left the gate, then came Hezbollah, then came Hamas, then came ISIS, Daesh, you know, whatever it is. So all these terror groups from the Middle East begin to happen. Then when they had the... Uh, the revolutions of the Arab Spring in 2010, 2011, it was all Islam, all Middle Eastern, Gaddafi's taken out, government's changing, shifting. It became a, an epiphany to the world. Who is Al-Qaeda? Al-Qaeda means the base. It's the first horse, the white horse that has a bow. The word bow is toxin, and it talks about a woman in travail, the beginning of sorrows. Uh, I began to put all these things together, and I saw the potential that the book of Revelation actually opened on 9-11-2001 and those four horses and everything that they represent of economic imbalance. 2008, the market fell. Millions lost their homes. I watched famine and, and all the distress of war that was coming. President Trump, or not Trump, uh, Bush, either you're with us or with the terrorists, we're going on a global world war against terrorism. And he identifies four of the nations and so global world war. And I saw it all ramping up. I really did. And I said, okay, is it possible that our generation coming to the end of 6,000 years, looking for the millennial reign of Jesus, the seventh 1,000 year period of time where God will bring rest because the devil will be bound and cast into, uh, into the pit. Are we now the generation that is actually witnessing? It's kind of like 4,000 years Israel hearing about the Messiah, then after 4,000 years, the Messiah actually comes and they're going, are you really the one? I mean, how dare you say you're the one? We've had a lot of people say they're the one. Are we really the generation that's witnessing the final prophecy coming to pass? I believe so. And my beliefs need to be challenged, no doubt. But I believe we are in the book of Revelation. 
We are in what it calls the beginning of sorrows. Revelation chapter 6 with the first four horses, the first four seals, is an exact picture of what Jesus taught in the mini-apocalypse of Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8. The same thing is contained. So I believe we are, we are in the beginning of sorrows. I've been saying that for a long time. And again, the first seal, the white horse, the bow, and the crown, the bow being toxin, the beginning of sorrows, a woman in travail. Ha! Huh, it actually is in the definition of the word bow, if you search it out. And so it goes on. It goes on. It goes on. So we're here. And where I got caught in my thinking was in the sixth seal. Because I could read the first, second, third, fourth, fifth seals and see how every one of those seals have been opened. And if you take a historical point of view, you can go back 2,000 years since the book was written and say, okay, well, historically we've seen these things. But more than that, in our generation, we could see since 9-11-2001 that those four, five seals have opened. We can actually mark the first, second, third, fourth, fifth seal in our generation having been opened. To me, that's phenomenal. Without trying to fit a circle into a square. It just has happened before our very eyes. So where I got caught in my thinking was the sixth seal. Because I also believe that the book of Revelation is a chronological unfolding of one event after the other. When I studied the book of Revelation, I found a divine order to things. I found that if you start in chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22, every single chapter begins with, and after this, or, and then I saw, and after this I heard. So I saw order in every single chapter. It's an ongoing this happens, and then this happens, and then this, and then that, and then I heard, and then I saw. And after these things, I beheld. So it's a continuum, and then you see that same divine order with seven seals, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Or what you do actually see is after the sixth seal, there's a period of pause, and then the seventh seal opens at another time, which is interesting. Okay, but you do see then the seven angels the seven angels with the seven trumpets. And it's one, two, three, four, five. They're all blowing in synchronicity, one after the other. It's a continuum. So I see divine order. So where I got stuck, and the same, same, same thing with the vials, where I got stuck in my thinking was the sixth seal. Because that sixth seal talks about every mountain, every island being moved out of their place. It doesn't say how far they've been moved out of their place. And some people say symbolically Mountains and islands represent superpower nations and, and lesser nations. Every mountain and island moved out of their way. Well, symbolically, every mountain and island has been moved out of their way, okay? But, and, and there is place for symbology in the book of Revelation. So it's putting it all together. Because the seventh seal opens up the next phase of the seven trumpets of God. And so I just kind of, I, I, I could read them, I could follow them, I could say them and say, here's where we are, here's what we can expect to happen next. And I'm still good with that. But anyways, that's kind of what, uh, let's see, Lisa Hubbard, I thought white horse meaning is for Catholicism, Catholic Church, Pope being the false prophet. Lisa, that may be true, 
there's a lot of different people. Some people actually believe that's Jesus riding on the white horse. Um, I do believe that it's more Islamic, and I do believe that it shows with um, uh, what happened with Al-Qaeda on 9-11, so that's my belief. But, of course, other people believe different things. And, yes, the Catholic Church and the Pope and that whole theology of things um, is very real, and it may have some some place, uh, but in my thinking, it was more biblical, because I like the Bible to interpret itself, that the Antichrist is actually going to come out of the Islamic world, because when I go to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 16, I find a woman named Hagar giving birth to a child named Ishmael, God hears, and God actually designs or designates in the DNA of Ishmael to be a wild man whose hand will be against every man's hand and every man's hand will be against him. And then chapter 21, Ishmael is an archer, okay, and uh, which means archers carry bows and arrows. And on 9-11-2001, uh, the aeroplanes were shot into the Twin Towers. So I go down and I look at it differently, that the antagonism of Ishmael towards Isaac has followed through Scripture all the way through. So at the end, I don't see a major shift in some religious group. I see Ishmael reviving as a caliphate that will eventually arise and make war and the beast of islam will come out of there the khalifa or what they call the mahdi the 12th imam so that is something i believe um it could be the other as well time will tell either way all these things are happening in our generation right now so that's what i'm thinking that's what i'm thinking uh, let's see, Brian Cathy, the Catholic Church is at the forefront of Chrislam. Well, that's true. Well, that's a great point where uh, the Catholic Church and Islamic world are merging together as something known as Chrislam. That could be very excellent. I love that. All right. So let's keep talking then. Let's get some more information here um, because I do believe the book of Revelation is open and it's moving and it's fluid and it's flowing. And that means that you and I are, we need to look at the book so God gave it to us so that we wouldn't miss or misunderstand what is happening and where we are in the timing of things and how we should prepare our lives. Excellent point. Chrislam. I forgot about that. That helps. That helps. All right. So it is Friday. We're going to be saying goodbye. Um, I have uh, made a request on this broadcast that we have a $3,300 bill because since November, about five people have given to this ministry and you know, we can't do that on our own. And so I made a request a few days ago, if anybody out there would be willing to help um, one person. And that was the friends that we have on here uh, gave to us and uh, they gave, you know, from their hearts. But since November, we have received five donations to this ministry, the Internet Radio Ministry that we do four days a week, um, and actually six if you count Saturday and Sunday, and we're getting no support. And the support we're getting uh, once a month from some people, there are five people, and it's not enough to pay our monthly bills. And so we're getting into debt, $3,300 of debt. That's $3,300. And so I was thinking maybe you would consider – um, this new month, it's been November, December, January, going into February, um, that we're just not getting the support we need. 
And so I thought, well, maybe we were being ripped off. Maybe people were, somebody's back there manipulating our website and stealing the money um, that people are giving online. So I asked people, if you've given, would you please call me and text me? And nobody did. So I'm just thinking that we're kind of uh, of alone out here. We're not getting a lot of partnership and fellowship for this ministry. Um, As I've said, Patricia and I are pastors and what we do at the church is we're so blessed by our congregation. We thank God. But this ministry, I just can't keep doing it. Um, we're, we're investing in preparations for things. But to keep this going, we sure could use your help. And God has always been faithful. And uh, I gave an address where people could actually send a blessing to. And that blessing could have gone to or can go to. Uh, this address. And again, I apologize for doing this. I love spending time in the word, but it's something we need to do. We need your support. You know, the truckers up in Canada receive $10 million because they're doing something. I don't view ourselves as being, you know, up in Canada doing something, but we are doing something for the kingdom. We are teaching, we are bringing people on to educate and bless people. Um, And it is a kingdom work. And I think it's deserving of the people that do listen to sow into the ministry. And I'd like to say that with a great big smile and say thanks for touching the button and, and giving your support, but it's not happening. Uh, people are just not giving except for the few that give once a month. And every once in a while, a donation comes in, but that's nowhere near what is necessary to do what we do. Would you please consider sending a donation today? You could do it if you want to send a check or a money order, cash, or uh, whatever gift you would send to the ministry. There's an address, P.O. Box 100, and I don't think anybody at the post office is stealing anything. So if you would be willing to give to P.O. Box 100 and the zip code is 72722, that would be so thankful for that. And, you know, a number of people giving at the same time would be very helpful $3,300 bill, a debt right now for where we are. It would be wonderful to receive from the P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. There's another way right on your phone, and I checked this out, and it appears to be working, where you could, if you're on your phone, literally text 41088 Omega, 41088 Omega, and it's all together. There's no you know, you don't separate anything. It's the numbers 41088 and then lowercase O-M-E-G-A. And then that's on your, your phone where you text that. And then in the box below, you just type in the word give. And then they send you a link and you click on the link and it shows you how you can give. You do it right on your phone. Another way that people can give is at our websites. And here's one of them, www.nwmglobal.org. And then there's a donations tab, nwmglobal.org. And again, I apologize for doing this today. You know, it is Friday, but we just simply need to reach out and say, you know, is there a reason why we're not getting the support? Is there a reason why, um, you know, we're being told that over, there's a, a number of people out there supposedly watching and listening. And I don't want to get into numbers, but is there a reason why there's not a support to the ministry? If it's a valid ministry, if it's helping, it's if, it's in, if it's assisting in your walk with the Lord, would you please consider helping? And I'm not asking people from New Wine Ministries to do it at all. Uh, I'm just not asking for that. We're, we're, we thank God for our, our church, and we're a small church, and we thank God for them. I'm asking people that 
are out there um, to think about it. Our prayer is that you'll be blessed for your giving. That's God's word. We leave that up to him. We don't sell oil. We don't give gifts. Um, we just don't. Um, this is just a, a, a Bible promise, given it shall be given unto you. Uh, when you sow into the ministry, may God multiply your seed, sown, increase the fruits of your righteousness. All the promises that God says he'll give when tithes and offerings come into the ministry or just donations or gifts. So there's another place you can give, not only at www.nwmglobal.org, but you could also go to our Omega Radio website. And again, we pay for these websites to be a part of this ministry, the radio ministry. And um, we, we pay for a lot of different things. So simply omegaradio.org, omegaradio.org. Um, we've been pastoring for 30 years. We have been on radio preaching the message for over 20 years. And I have never seen in all the years such a, a disconnect. And I'm not sure what the disconnect is. And if, if the if the broadcast was worthless, then I don't think there'd be one person watching. I wouldn't watch a worthless program. If it's worth something, then we, it's, it's supported by those who receive it. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm not going to ask much longer, and I haven't asked much before. I lightly make mention of these things because we're, we're just wanting to do what we do. But we do need financial support right now. And if you would be willing to do it, I gave you several ways where you can. And we would be most thankful. And to those that you, of you that do and have actually given, we are not, we don't do things like, you know, the organized religious systems of 501c3s and all of that stuff. We don't do it that way. We do this by the grace of God. And we do this by people that just give simplistically without expecting anything in return other than the word of God that's being taught on this broadcast. So, and we hope it's very valuable. Sorry to leave the broadcast that way, but kind of need your help and looking forward to it. And we'll be looking for your support in the coming days. Uh, we have the rest of February, the rest of March. I believe we're in the first phase of what uh, is going to be considered a time of really pushing certain things and uh, we'll talk more about it on Tuesday. We'll talk more about it on Tuesday. And uh, having said that, I think all the comments are through. And we love you. We bless you. We trust that this ministry has been a blessing to you today. Have a super blessed weekend. Keep sober. Keep fluid. And remember, the righteous keep moving forward. And those with clean hands get stronger and stronger. Keep our hands clean. Be blessed. And I think that's it. By the way, when I leave right now on OmegaRadio.org, you could listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week to broadcasts. They're there for you if you want to just listen to some good music. I got some excellent music out there right now on OmegaRadio.org. So stay tuned. As we say goodbye, Omega Radio will continue, and uh, we'll talk more about it. If you're interested in the book of Revelation, let me know. Till we meet again, shalom and God bless you. This is Pastor Vince. I think we've covered all the territory. I think we've said everything we need to say. And uh, I think we just started on a, on a conversation uh, where we left off today. We'll pick it up maybe next week. Until then, shalom. God bless you guys. We love you.